0: Hello, welcome to BioBased Radio, a podcast promoting a more sustainable future through conversations with industry, university, and environmentalists. Today, our host, Denny Hall, is talking with Doug Mazefa, Product Sustainability Manager at Sherwin-Williams.
1: Hi, I'm Denny Hall, host of Bio-Based Radio and director of OBIC, the Bioproducts Innovation Center at The Ohio State University. Today, Doug and I paint a picture of what it's like to be a sustainability professional in a chemical industry. We'll talk about a sci-fi paint shield, coatings that spiders can stick to, and being paid to watch paint dry. Okay, Doug, well, it's great to have you here today on our uh, bio-based Radio podcast. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about bio-based paints or uh, sustainability in the paints and coating sector, and uh, really delighted to have, you know, one of the industry leaders in this space, uh, Sherwin-Williams, as a part of our our program. Doug, could you please introduce yourself and uh, tell a little bit about what you do there at Sherwin?
0: Sure, and, and thank you for having me today. Uh, so my name is Doug Mazaffi. I'm the product sustainability manager for the Sherwin-Williams Company, and primarily, uh, my group is responsible for you know product sustainability, also the, a lot of the corporate sustainability and uh, product safety. So everything from life cycle assessments, uh, kind of chemical advocacy, alternatives assessment, toxicology for you know the the global business, and so SW operates in about 120 different countries. So it, it keeps us uh, quite busy.
1: And and how did you find yourself in this kind of line of work?
0: So originally, I, I've always had an interest in, you know, the kind of nature, the environment and, and science in general, and uh, grew up in kind of a rural part of, of Columbus, Ohio, and was really looking in, in late high school to find a, a career that would kind of keep me in, in touch with with sort of nature. And Fell in love with an environmental science course my senior year in in high school, and I was able to do my undergraduate work primarily in environmental science, originally more with a a lean towards kind of conservation biology, uh, habitat fragmentation, biodiversity, Um, And then in graduate school, I kind of went uh, a slightly different line with it and into something called life cycle assessment. And life cycle assessment or LCA is really a way of doing environmental accounting of whether it's products, technologies, materials. So it's a way of determining whether or not something has a larger or smaller um, impact kind of from cradle to grave. And that really kind of struck a chord with me. And after leaving grad school, kind of stayed with the impact assessment uh, kind of theme uh, in the startup world for a number of years, and then was fortunate enough to find an opportunity with Sherwin-Williams to kind of help build out uh, their sustainability program and, uh, and really with the coatings industry in general through a lot of our trade associations. So, this was a great opportunity and just really excited to have been with SW for about six years now.
1: So, what were the universities we, we need to make sure we we give credit to all those uh, universities that helped shape you.
0: Sure. So uh, undergrad was Miami of Ohio, uh, so Miami University. And for graduate school, it was uh, the, the Bren School at UC Santa Barbara.
1: Cool. And so now you're with Sherwin-Williams, this company that was uh, established back in 1866, I think, in Cleveland, Ohio. What can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to
0: work at Sherwin. So Sherwin's, it's an amazing company. And as you pointed out, you know, it's one of the older companies out there. It's, it's, you know, what, 152 years. uh, And it's, it's basically been in the same kind of area in Cleveland. I think where I'm sitting right now is probably within a few hundred yards of where the original SW location was. And it's just, it's a very kind of brand centric, just good, honest, ethical company. You know, it's, it's really, about doing things the right way, not cutting corners. You know, we really try to hold ourselves to a very high standard. And also, it's it's you know, in spite of being kind of an older school company, you know, it's obviously a very you know, sciencey sort of product. And so I I'm kind of fortunate in my role. I'm kind of halfway between the business and uh, the technical folks. And so I, you know, nothing makes me happier than going down to the laboratories and. You know, talking with all of our brilliant formulators and and kind of geeking out on on the science side of it. So it's it's a nice blend of kind of a very stable, mature company with a lot of the kind of cutting edge technology and and kind of uh, innovation on that side.
1: Yeah, I've had the opportunity to meet many of your sciencey, techy guys there, and and they're a good bunch of folks. I've always enjoyed hanging out with Sherwin Williams folks, um, and now again. Um, Tell me about your role then. Uh, what's your title and and kind of what you bring to Sherwin Williams?
0: Sure. So you know, and it's really I would say it's changed a ton over time. But when I originally started, um, you know, really my role I think was envisioned more around the, the life cycle assessment uh, kind of area I mentioned, and so really. Uh, we were starting to get a lot of of customer requests, and I mean customer in terms of uh, you know folks in our stores, but also kind of major corporate customers because one thing about Sharon Williams is I think people think of us as a paint company, and that's by far you know our our biggest product line, but we really make every type of coding out there almost I mean whether it's for cell phone touchscreens or for furniture automotive I mean you name it, chances are you know we're we're making it. And so initially, it it was kind of to satisfy these customer requests about what's the environmental footprint of uh, paints and coatings. And and so for the first couple of years, it was really working within Sherwin and the industry to, you know, give the industry and and Sherwin the capability of, of doing these sorts of assessments. And, you know, as the sustainability marketplace kind of continues to mature, you know, it, it's kind of morphed a little bit. So, you know, the, our corporate sustainability program has kind of gotten a lot more mature. We're we're doing a lot, a lot there. Um, we're interacting a lot with whether it's the investment community or design firms or uh, NGOs, whatever that may be. So even advocacy work, and also there's a lot of work on the chemical side. So you know, operating in 120 countries. Not every country um, has the same regulations in place regarding what chemicals are acceptable or certain chemicals might be getting scrutinized or scrutinized for certain uses. So my group is not only monitoring, you know, kind of what's going on in the marketplace and trying to ensure we're ahead of it, but then also communicating that, you know, back to the business to ensure that we don't get blindsided by some sort of, of you know, chemical phase out or, or also dismissing a new technology that whether it's a bio-based product or some sort of new novel uh, pathway to a chemical, like we, we want to keep improving our, our products. You know, the, the company really is grounded in a mindset of continuous improvement. And so that dovetails quite well with sustainability. So
1: I'm curious then more on the kinds of coatings that you make. For example, I wasn't even thinking that there was a coating on my cell phone screen. But uh, could you maybe elaborate more on, on the various types of paints and coatings? Yeah, I think most people are familiar with seeing a Sherwin-Williams store in their community. But like you indicated, you're involved in all these industrial applications that I'm, I'm sure people would be curious about.
0: Sure, and, and yeah, definitely people know us. I think we've got about forty five hundred retail locations now, and, and that's kind of our, you know, more I don't want to say conventional architectural paint, but I think the products people traditionally uh kind of associate with us. But one of the and this uh what I'm about to share, a few of these technologies are, are kind of newer to Sherwin. So about a year and a half ago we acquired a Valspar. And so With acquiring Valspar, you know, they had some architectural business, but where they were really strongest was uh, food packaging. So like Coca-Cola cans, that's a a Sherwin-Williams coating. Uh, Really, uh, there's a lot of food packaging. I'd say primarily beverage, at least that's my understanding of of the business. Um, You know, those are our Sherwin-Williams coated products. But things like coil coatings for uh, certain buildings, the kind of uh, coiled steel Marine coatings, anti-fouling, automotive, bridge coatings, intumescent coatings for fire safety, uh, even there's flooring products. I mean, it's it's kind of once you start learning about coatings, it, it really kind of warps the way you look at things. Because as I, I look around my office right now, you know, it's it, everything has a coating on it and not that we're manufacturing, you know, The majority of all of those, but chances are, you know, we are in the marketplace, you know, making some furniture coatings or some metal coatings or whatever that may be. So it's, you know, that's one of the great things about uh, Sherwin. It really drew me to the the industry was that, yes, pretty much everything we make are are coatings, but you're never going to mix up the chemistry for a latex paint versus a bridge coating. Or a traffic coating, you know, which has to be certain reflectivity values for safety. I mean, they're they're very chemically distinct. And so it really keeps it fresh because, you know, any given day, I could be looking at a whole different class of of product.
1: I'm sure that that does make it interesting to be exploring, you know, sustainability indicators for all of these different categories of products.
0: It certainly does. And, And it's exciting, too, because... You know, for the most part, you know, coatings—they're a chemical product. There's, there's no surprise there. And um, you know, because of that, I think some folks maybe are, are, you know, assume that they're very hazardous or contain really exotic things. But for the most part, it's not really true. I mean, the way of really thinking of a coating or a paint, specifically, is it's kind of rocks, water, and glue. I mean, that's really kind of what it is. And uh, what's exciting, though, is from a sustainability perspective. With the you know exception of of purely decorative coatings, of, of which there you know aren't a ton of those, you know coatings are protecting substrates that are much more impactful than the coatings themselves. Whether it's it's your desk or your car or your walls, whatever that may be, so there's really kind of a great story there that you know we're we're helping protect these other materials and making them last longer or enhancing their abilities, like whether it's a solar panel. Or a reflective roof coating or a, a cool roof coating. I mean, there, there's some just really great things that, that um, the coatings do. And, you know, I joke with folks, I, I literally have been paid to watch paint dry. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. I have been there watching it under a microscope and I found it shockingly uh, exciting. But when you actually think about all the different ways it's used and the, the benefits that they provide in, in many cases, it's, it's really kind of a fun area to be.
1: I, I can already see Casey ready to queue up. Uh, you know the the idea of watching paint dry, as kind of a a you know highlight of this particular podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's I'm, I'm not proud of that, but I, I literally it, it more than once as a matter of fact too. Well,
1: it is. It, I mean, there's lots of different avenues in terms of ways in which coatings will uh, mature or or uh, finish.
0: Certainly. And, and we have, you know, weathering stations all over the U.S., probably even outside the U.S. I'm admittedly not 100 percent sure, but different climates where we're basically, you know, the best way to figure out if an exterior coating, how long it's going to last. You just you, you paint a panel and you throw it outside, whether it's a desert you're near an ocean in Florida or we actually have a, a weathering station uh, just outside of Cleveland. It's and so we, we keep panels for, for decades and decades, just really trying to tweak that chemistry to see how long we can make these things last. And it's you know, we these are just farms dedicated to testing with different properties of, of coatings. And even your most basic kind of interior coating, the number of tests it goes through, whether it's scrubbability, washability, burnish, you know, elastomericity, I may have just made that last term up a little bit, but how elastomeric uh, the coating is flexible basically. You know, there's so many attributes that that are tested. So it's really, you know, folks, I think, wonder sometimes why you go into a a paint store or a big box store, and it's like, why are there 20 different types of coatings? They're actually all optimized for very different types of environments or, or uses. And the more you play with them, you really understand that, you know, this coating will work great in kind of a moist environment. If you put something else in that environment, it could just fall off the wall in a year. So there's there's quite a lot of nuance to it.
1: You indicated that paint is rocks, water, and
0: glue. Is that what you said? That that was the way they, they taught me back when I was starting. But it, it's it. I mean, there's obviously, um, I guess, more to it. You know, there's multiple rocks. Uh, the glue has maybe certain parts, but really, at its core, it's it's you have your pigments that are giving it color you have the glue, the kind of resin, which is kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of keeping it together. And then for a latex, it's water, as a carrier. And then, you know, that probably that analogy could give you 90, 90, 90, to 95% of the composition. And then the last five or so percent, which is arguably some of the most important um, are the additives that, you know, can start bestowing some really specific properties. Like how well does it flow? Does it level on its own? Hardness things like that. And, and so but at its core, it, it's it's a relatively uh, I'd say straightforward sort of idea I mean and, and to give you a kind of analogy for it when I joined SW so I, I have a, I'd say a modest to strong science background and uh, The week before I started I was I wanting to learn about paints and coatings because I was new to the industry So I watched one of those discovery channel like how it works or how it's made uh, Shows and they have one on paint so I watched it within an hour. I thought I was an expert. And it was like day two of my job. I went to a paint factory and I just realized how <laughs> absolutely little I, I knew about this stuff because uh, it's, it's some real hardcore chemistry. But the kind of generalities of it are relatively straightforward. I mean, it's paints have been around for a, you know, thousands and thousands of years. It's just, you know, we've really improved them, the durability, the colors and, and things like that.
1: So thousands and thousands of years ago, paint would have been, I assume, for the most part, uh, if it wasn't inorganic, it was bio-based. My guess is that botanicals were often a source of uh, the pigments even. Uh, And since this is bio-based radio, at some point we ought to start talking about the bio-based components of your paints. So, you know, today, what are the kinds of ingredients that are, are used in paints that Give it uh, some the performance requirements, but happen to come from uh, plant-based sources.
0: Sure, and and, you know this is an area, you know, bio-based in paints and coatings. I'm I'm really kind of excited for it because you know there certainly are a lot of uh, kind of historic uses, but I'm really seeing that the market. I mean, even in my short time here in the industry, you know, five or six years, uh, it's really uh, ramping up a lot in the, the past couple, where we're seeing a lot more suppliers coming out with kind of polymers that might be based off of, uh, you know, some sort of a bio feedstock, but also conventional building block chemicals, maybe like acrylic acids or, or, or things like that, that have a a kind of bio pathway. So it's the same structural chemical, but rather than it being kind of petroleum derived, it, it's coming from a, a bio-based uh, kind of energy or, or feedstock. And so, you know, really, I, I think that the future's, you know, very bright for, biomaterials in paint but in terms of what's currently done you know sherwin has i think 10 or so products that are usda biopreferred a lot of uh, water water reducible alkids things that have i think it's soybean oil or linseed oil so and those a lot of the uh, the solvents historically have been from from biomaterials that's one of the more i'd say straightforward ways to incorporate it Um, there are some polymers out there that you can come um, at them from a a bio-based standpoint, so like epoxy, polymers, or I think even maybe some of the acrylics. So what's kind of, exciting about it though, is the variety of ways that, you know, bio-based materials, you know, the potential there, it's not just, you know, one part of the formulation, you know, 10% of it, and that's the most you can do. You know, we're, we're seeing all different types, you know, surfactants, solvents, polymers, you know, whatever you know, being able to either, you know, come from that, that biofeedstock or at least have kind of a biomass energy uh, being used to kind of help us lower our, our footprints when we're doing our, our, you know, life cycle assessments or environmental footprinting.
1: Yeah, so that, that's my next question is what does bio-based, what is the value proposition of bio-based in paints? Uh, how does it help you with your sustainability scoring?
0: You know, one of the, the things we're really seeing you know, out there and whether it's regulations or or from NGOs, it comes back to the environmental footprinting. And so life cycle assessment, typically you're tracking, uh, you know, a half dozen or so environmental indicators, carbon, uh, eutrophication potential, acidification potential, ozone depletion, smog, maybe toxicity, maybe some resource metrics, energy, water, waste, things like that. And so, you know, a lot of of kind of my early years with the company and, and even the industry, you know, we, we've kind of went from the, the coding industry not, not doing a ton of, of life cycle assessments to a pretty staggering number of products, have these things uh, externally validated and actually published. I think Sharon Williams has several dozen uh, product lines with, you know, formally validated um, environmental product declarations. So it's kind of like a nutrition label, but for environmental impact rather than fat, calories, protein. And you know, we're bio-based materials. You know, that's where I, I kind of get the most excited because, you know, we're I think starting to get pressured to minimize those impacts. I mean, it's, it's a logical thing to do, and, and you know, there's a lot of ways you can kind of get at that. You know, using less coating or making it last longer, whatever that may be. But from a, a straight formulation substitution standpoint looking at bio-based raw materials is a great way of of doing that. So it's definitely something, you know, we, we look at very closely. And, um, as I said, uh, the number of suppliers that are offering these sorts of of materials has just grown uh, exponentially, I'd say over the past four or so years. And, um, you know, because f- for us, at the end of the day, the most important things are going to be, you know, the quality of the paint. You know, we, we can't go crazy with the, the pricing or things like that as much as we might want to sometimes, and, and also just raw material availability. You know, because we're we're the biggest paint company in the world, you know, we we need to make sure that there's enough supply there if we're going to switch over our our you know number one line to raw material X. You know, the the supply needs to be there, and we need to make sure if something were to happen to that initial supply, but there are kind of alternate uh, pathways available. So, you know, what, what's exciting is a lot of those, you know, the, the, the technical performance seems to be there. I think the cost is getting there and the supply chain side is, is getting there as well. So I, I fully expect to see, you know, the, the number of, of bio-based raw materials being used by the industry to, you know, steadily increase over time.
1: Awesome. We love to hear that. Now I have in front of me your environmental sustainability goals, and so like one of them is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 5.9% per 100 pounds produced by 2020. How how are you doing on that front? And do you capture sort of like the the environmental footprint of a bio-based ingredient as part of, of that reduced emissions?
0: So right now, so currently, you know, what we publish in our CSR report are, are for scopes one and two. Uh, we we publish things through the Carbon Disclosure Project, so you know that would actually not include the raw materials. So it's more about the the impacts of our our facilities and our our 4,500 stores. However, you know we we are moving into a lot more product assessment. The challenge for us has always been that um, I mean I don't even know the number, but we literally have tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of products, and so doing the assessments on them it's it's not automated at all. It's 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 a very uh, kind of detailed step to do these assessments or life cycle assessments specifically. So we, we've done quite an impressive swath of our portfolio. Certainly we, we've done, you know, uh, a good percentage of it, but it's a little bit of diminishing marginal returns uh, in terms of, you know, once we do our 50 best selling products, we've knocked out, you know, 25% of, of our sales volume, but then, you know, you are only picking up a part, a fraction of a percent for each product line you add, uh, because the the sales are sort of dropping once you get to you know the more kind of niche products, so you know we're we're getting there um, and, and you know we're excited you know the company's been tremendously supportive, and you know our customers really care about it. I mean I can't even tell you how often I'm asked about carbon footprints or uh, you know just overall environmental footprints, things beyond carbon so I, I do think you know we'll we'll start to be able to report you know some of these product level metrics a little bit more. Uh, I guess aggressively in, in, the, uh, in the future. And certainly, though, even though we're, that number in our CSR report doesn't include the raw material impacts, that's not to say you know, we don't have a gluttony of, of data um, on those things. So we, we've assessed a you know, very high percent of our sales. It's just kind of internal at these purposes or at this, uh, at this time.
1: I'm also looking at your green chemistry, your presidential green chemistry award in 2011 and uh, for the safer and more more sustainable chemicals in your paint products. And in particular is this issue of using soybean oil and recycled plastic bottles to reduce volatile organic compounds by 60%. So I'm, I'm sure that soybean farmers and the United Soybean Board Really appreciate your use of soybean oil. Can you talk a little bit more about how that fits into your your program?
0: So, yeah, and, and this is something, you know, and this uh, predates my time with the, with the company, but it, a tremendous honor to, and you know, really hats off to the, I, I see the award every time I go down to our uh, technology center in the lobby. And, you know, the challenge here was that uh, conventionally, products that uh, were solvent based you know have a very high uh, levels of VOC volatile organic compounds and and that's something that's really been you know fairly well regulated and kind of pushed down over time so that's kind of hence the, the rise of, of water-based coatings and so with with this uh, product in particular we were able to you know basically keep that bio-based Feedstock, um, but, but greatly lower the the VOC emissions, and so it which is sometimes very challenging to to do for you know an alkid based uh, product. So it just was a tremendous kind of initiative. Uh, the you know the chemistry group really just did a great job, kind of looking at the, the big picture, and and really one one thing I, I should mention too, when when labs are working on these things, you know once again I think folks maybe have a, a misconception that all paints are pretty much the same. And it's really just not true. Um, if you are going to, say, tweak, oh, that's a good example. Hey, this is some additive, a coalescent or, or something. It's not just as simple as taking out this coalescent and then putting in another. You know, it's, there's no kind of plug and play with a lot of these raw materials. So if you switch one for another, they, there's kind of trade-offs with every decision you make. And so for them to be able to kind of hit a sweet spot of making a, a really stellar coating that still performed at a, a very high level that did have, you know, considerably less uh, VOC emissions or VOC content, what was a tremendous undertaking. And so I think, you know, that this spoke well of the potential for a lot of these types of, of products. You know, once again, many of which could be bio-based solvents uh, for, for these alkyds. So I, I think, and, and you know, VOC is a big issue for us. You know, there are uh, local, laws like in parts of california or even state limits that you have that are relatively stringent so you can't just sell any old product in uh, southern california you know it's technologies like this that help you bring in kind of new types of of products you know with some great attributes and still meet those those voc uh, limits that are being set
1: i assume you still use petroleum or oil for many of your products is that Fair to assume, or have you been able to get away from using petrochemicals?
0: There's, there's still going to be a, a fair amount in there. You know, we're not putting obviously, you know, gasoline or something into the, the formulations, but a lot of the polymers uh, could still be coming from you know petroleum-based uh, you know sources way back at the beginning.
1: Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, what you've been able to do as you've increasingly used bio-based, you know, like what kinds of reduction in barrels of oil uh, have you been able to quantify? Is that, is that a number that you track?
0: Not in terms of barrels of oil, but we'll look at it in terms of just carbon footprint and, and things like that. So, you know, there, there have been assessments I've worked on uh, looking at, I'll say, kind of conventionally derived products versus some uh, bio-based products And there can be, you know, I don't want to quote a percentage because it would just be off the top of my head, but I mean, significant percentage savings. You know, one of the big changes in the last, I'd say, year was, uh, I won't get to hyper, I'll try not to get too hyper technical. There's uh, a number of underlying standards, international standards, that our assessments have to meet. And you know, we usually get ours externally validated. Uh, we, we do get them externally validated if they're going to be published in any sort of public forum. If they're internal only, you know, we, we might just keep it in house. But you know, the way those standards have treated uh, kind of biogenic carbon. Um, has changed significantly and, and you know what from what it was five years ago to what it is now and so you know we're, we're really trying to adapt a lot of the, the new technologies and, and you know making sure we're doing the calculations in a way that you know will kind of pass muster but I mean I can very safely say that I've you know in my career and especially you know being at SW I, I from a sustainability standpoint you know, biomaterials are, are almost always a, a positive. I mean, and if it's, and usually if they're not, it's typically a function more of, of cost or performance. It's, it's not because of the sustainability case not being there. It really, if done, you know, appropriately, they, they tend to be kind of a, a nice sort of home run, like win-win sort of across the board with, with very few trade-offs.
1: Super. And of course, you now have several products. I think you said 10 that are listed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture in their BioPreferred catalog. You want to talk a little bit about what that means to Sherwin-Williams?
0: Sure. So, uh, yeah, USDA BioPreferred, yeah, we do have the 10 products in there. And, you know, there there are some folks out there and, and also uh, certain green building programs will give a uh, preference to products with uh, bio-based content. And so those are you know, kind of the, the 10 uh, products, I think across uh, several product lines, I forget exactly how many specific lines, but those are sort of the products that we position, you know, for those instances. And so these, these tend to be for uh, government contracts or um, you know, state, city, or federal level. So it, it's been a, you know, a, a kind of a su- successful thing for us. And, you know, certainly, it, it, once again, it, it's uh Biomaterials in general is, is something that, you know, we look very closely at kind of day in and day out. I, I don't see this market drying up and it, it seems to be something that's become, you know, kind of a, a very established in the past several years versus, you know, when I joined the industry. It was, it seemed to be at least for paints and coatings a little bit earlier on and its, it's kind of fruition.
1: We talk about bio-based, but I'm also intrigued by what you call paint shield, and And that's kind of a different way of thinking about bio that that there are from time to time microorganisms that that can be problematic, and with paint shield, you have a way of uh, limiting those kinds of uh, antimicrobial paints. Can you just reference that a little bit for us
0: sure and and you know paint shield when we when I first learned of this which wasn't too much before it hit market. Um, you know, it was a technology I was really intrigued by because I, I really uh, like the kind of functional coatings that are out there. You know, we have coatings that purify the air. We have coatings that spiders can't stick to. We have coatings that reflect the sun, Or, or and there's coatings now that can, during the day, keep your building cool, but then actually kind of trap the, the heat um, so when it's nighttime, it, it doesn't, you know... It, cool off too much. There's a much better term for that, but (laughs) admittedly it escapes me. So PaintShield was, it's been on the market, gosh, probably been three years now. Um, I think two and a half, three years. And it it was the first uh, kind of microbicidal uh, coating. So it's registered under FIFRA uh, with the EPA. Went through just years and years and years of testing. Uh, Really cool product, you know, for basically four years. Um, that product will kill, I believe it's 99.9% of five different uh, kind of bugs, as our uh, antimicrobial lab would, would say. And you really, it was designed for uh, kind of the, the healthcare setting. You know, it, it's not meant to replace any existing cleaning uh, technologies or, or things are out there but it's kind of another uh, kind of arrow to have in your in your quiver to help combat any sort of, of infectious diseases so it, it's, it's a really fascinating thing I mean the real trick is how do you keep this technology um, so it works for more than a couple of days when you put it in the film so the fact that it actually is able to you know keep its effectiveness for, for years and, and has been tested as such Uh, It was really exciting, and so that—that's what I really love about this product type. Is I feel like it's you know every few months there's either a new technology coming out or something we're looking three five years out that just has some really sort of cool, almost like kind of a sci-fi sort of spin to it. And and Paint Shield was was one of those.
1: Yeah, so I actually happened to be on a school board, and I could just imagine where you know colds and stuff at schools. And, and I, I just wonder to what degree, you know, maintenance people and school systems are aware of this kind of technology and how it might help with, uh, you know, kids missing school because they're sick.
0: Yeah. And admittedly, you know, I, I think they've, I think schools, they've, I'm sure there's been, I'm admittedly not a sales guy. So I'm sure there's been some discussions there. I, I think we were, you know, we were first creating it, I think, you know, they really were limiting it to healthcare. And I think it maybe even initially it, it, they were even toying with not even selling it in the stores. It would kind of be like a behind the scenes sort of product. But I, I think, you know, they kind of realized that there's a lot of other markets this this could be, uh, you know, have a perceived value in. And so we, we kind of, I think, open it up and I believe you can get it at any SW store. So it's, it's, as I said, it's just one of the really kind of exciting technologies um, I, I've seen has come out. And Sherwin's a company that really takes innovation quite seriously. So it's, you know, kind of a a feather in our cap to be able to release exciting products like that.
1: So, Doug, uh, talk to me a little bit more about your sustainability goals and kind of where you're trying to help the company uh, move. We'll just kind of wrap this up and sort of summarize, if you will, sort of the, the work of a sustainability brand manager.
0: Sure. So, from a lot of my job, you know, it, it's interesting because I do uh, advocacy, I'd say, both internally and externally. So, I think a lot of it is, you know, working with folks from the outside. It's almost like being a moderator at, at times. And so, you know, I, I've kind of been trained to do environmental impact and some of the corporate strategy. And so, it's working with a lot of advocacy groups and NGOs. I, I, I'm on. You know, several dozen, I believe, uh, external advisory committees, whether it's trade associations or groups like U.S. Green Building Council or whatever, and you know, helping them ask the right questions uh, of Sherwin Williams or any manufacturer, for that matter. So, you know, they they because admittedly, there there's still. Some misunderstandings about coatings or any industry. It's not just us. It's just, you know, we're the only ones who knows what's in the products. You know, we, we, we have our recipes that, that are, you know, what we spend our, our, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in R&D on kind of optimizing. And so obviously we can't just give that away, but we can certainly, you know, have a dialogue with these groups. And then, you know, I can kind of translate that into, uh, you know, within Sherwin itself and, you know, really help, you know, both groups out, you know, I can, I can help Sherwin do some great things and also help, you know, kind of educate and be more transparent uh, to our customers about what we're doing or what's in the product or whatever that may be. So it, it really kind of cuts both ways. And it's quite fascinating because you really, uh, being in sustainability, you get to see all sides of the business, whether it's legal, marketing, sales, r and D. I I mean, there's very little that, you don't get at least somewhat involved in, and so it, it's just been a tremendously, you know, great place to be. You know, I think it's clear that sustainability is not a fad anymore, and uh, the support's been, you know, from the industry and the company has been overwhelming. So, it, and you can really do a lot right now, uh, even being a relatively small department. You know, I don't have thousands of people in my group; it's a, it's a relatively modest group. But we're really able to make some massive changes to, you know, hundreds of millions of gallons of products every year. And and that's that's really quite cool. And so if you want to have an impact, it's a great field to be in. Um, You know, I I would never tell people to shy away from, uh, you know, going corporate rather than a startup world or an NGO or a nonprofit or regulatory, whatever that may be. Uh, really you can get a lot done and within kind of corporations in sustainability and you get to see a lot of different sides of the business. So it, it, it never really gets old and, and that cuts both ways. It's almost like you feel like you're always in a startup world because you, you never know what you're going to be working on that day sometimes because there's always fires to put out. But, um, but it's just tremendously rewarding. And it's tremendously exciting as well. Well, Doug, I
1: would really like to thank you for your time today and, and, I'm choosing this, uh, these words very carefully, helping us to paint a picture of what it means to be a sustainability professional in a chemical industry like uh, Sherwin-Williams is, is in right now. So thanks for your discussion of uh, bio-based. Thanks for the important work you do. And uh, hopefully we've inspired a few others out there today to uh, want to do something kind of like what you do and uh, help make the world a greener place.
0: Well done. No, thank you very much. Really appreciated it. You know, and the opportunity and and you know forums like this are just phenomenal. So just thank you for just having this this series to begin with to help you know spread the message about some of the exciting things out there and what we can do to help minimize our impact. Thank you for listening to BioBased Radio. And thank you to our guest, Doug Mazefa, for being on the show today. BioBased Radio is a production of the Bioproducts Innovation Center at The Ohio State University. Produced in association with the United States Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture. BioBased Radio is hosted by Denny Hall, produced and edited by Casey Needham and Brad Collins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, plant the seed with a friend. Rate and review on iTunes.